Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. Sort of strange getting our review underway so close to Christmas, but obviously it's not like we've been dragging our heels on this. The season only just finished on the 13th of December. Uh, last episode we reviewed the last round, round 17 at Abu Dhabi, probably one of the most boring races of the season. We were still asleep from that. Um, this episode we are looking at what were the highlights of the 2020 season. We're going to break it down into a few categories, like best race, uh, best drive, best moment, that sort of thing. Also, F1's secret Santa. What we think each driver may have got another if there was a secret Santa between the drivers. All that coming up on this week's Pitbox podcast. So joined now by James Underhay, who's been able to get his kids off to bed quite quietly. He's got a, a quiet house, mate. Uh, that doesn't happen very often out your way, does it? Well, mate, uh, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, John, but you're actually wrong. They're still awake <laughs> and they are under uh, severe threat. Um, They're under gag orders, is what behave. you're saying. <laughs> no shouting outside the door. I, I have no doubt a rogue iPad with a uh, American child's voice will come past at some point. Um, and I apologize in advance if that's the case. And look, Wayne, he's had to actually escape to his car to get away from the noise in his house. Mate, I hope you've got the car heating on or a blanket. Uh, yeah, heated seats all the way. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's right. You're from the countryside, aren't you? Absolutely. It's one of the benefits of living rural is you have to have a car that is suitable for rural living. Um, in this case, it's got nice uh, heated seats and even a heated steering wheel. Um, but yeah, they, I'm not going to put that on just now. <laughs> All right. Wayne's out there driving a Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> I have had that occasion to me, I had that happen to me on occasion where we're driving a, a hire car and it's one of those nice highfalutin hire cars and someone has deliberately put on the seat warmer, you know, and of course being um, a summer sport, we're driving to a race. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know, it's, things getting really hot around here. It's like, you know, some rotten bugger's <laughs> done it to me. Um, anyway, let's uh, get into the season. I mean, just first question. Quickly, James, to you, um, your thoughts on the season just briefly as a whole. Um, I don't want to disappoint, but I have to say I found it pretty tedious. I think there were some great races and I think there were some great standout performances. But in the main, you know, it's kind of a foregone conclusion with the result. Um, You know, much to uh, Wayne and, and every other Lewis Hamilton fans. Uh, delight no doubt yeah he was he was great he was untouchable wasn't he and it I think that takes a little bit of a shine uh, off of the season for me but uh, still as we'll cover some great performances individually and and some stuff to really look forward to next year hopefully and Wayne what do you, what about you mate what how did you think it went I mean you're a Lewis fan obviously and you'd be pretty happy um yeah so obviously happy that Lewis managed to get uh, title number seven as well as the the win record um, and pretty much uh, most of the other records that exist. But also as a McLaren fan, you know, ecstatic to see the rise back from 2015 to now to finish P3 in the uh, in the constructors. It's it's been a ride for sure. But I th- I think it's been a good season actually. I'm pretty happy that we even got a season in the first place. Um, given you know back in March it looked very very bleak indeed. Uh, only 17 races, but I think probably only three or four of those were a bit dull. Uh, the rest of the season has been, I think it's been a good season. Sorry, James. No, not at all. Not at all. I think, I think you got 
fair point about actually there being a season at all. You know, the fact that we got racing this year uh, was was a blessing, really, because as you say, Wayne, I mean, it certainly didn't look like it for a little while. So I, I guess be thankful for what we got. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I thought it was... Actually, I thought it was a pretty good season. I mean, look, you know, one it started off with Austria and Bottas got the win. Lewis wasn't on the podium. And, you know, we had a couple of those times uh, where they, you know, Mercs weren't on the podium and the Red Bulls weren't either. But by that point, we pretty much knew what was going to happen. But even so, even though it once we'd got into the season and Lewis started getting into his into his groove, you knew what was going to happen and you knew he was going to win it. I thought it was still a really exciting season. There were some really good battles. There were some really good races, and and we'll get to um, obviously that uh, in a moment. But also some you know some great returning circuits um, and some great circuits that uh, that we went to for the first time as well. But look, yeah, you know we, uh, we because this is the the Christmas edition, uh, we thought we'd look at um, you know uh, best race, best drive. Let's um, get it underway. We've got some categories that we're going to talk about. So let's get it underway. Uh, first of all, best races. I think there's a few contenders here. Austria, the first race, um, you know, again, I was just saying the podium didn't have Lewis on it, and not because it didn't have it on it, but just it gave hope that it wasn't going to be a lay-down Mazer, that Lewis was going to run away with this. Um, it was a great drive from Norris to get his first podium, and, of course, McLaren really happy. Tuscan Grand Prix, safety car restart, two uh, race restarts there. Italian Grand Prix, um, there was a red flag there. Hamilton penalty for the pit getting closed. Gasly... You know, early pit stop, he did really well, got his first race win. Turkey, wow, you know, that was incredible. And Sakir, I mean, for mine, I would pick maybe probably from one of those five. Um, James, I mean, let's start with you. Uh, one of those or one of your own? No, I think they all got kind of creditable chance of claiming the uh, the best race of the year. But for me, it was, it was the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. I think that there's a couple of reasons for this. One, really, that there was a genuine battle uh, amongst the midfield teams for a potential win and podiums. There wasn't any kind of, I know there was an incident that involved the Mercs kind of being taken out of the action, but um, once the race really got going, those guys just got to it and they were the main feature of the race, all of those midfield teams. I think uh, Pierre drove an incredible race, um, soaked up a huge amount of pressure from Carlos at the end. I mean, Carlos did his very best, didn't he? And that McLaren to to hunt him down you know, towards the end, it was a thrilling kind of end to the race. And I think potentially maybe if there's another two or three laps, Carlos may have even got him, but um, we will never know. Specifically for me to see Gasly win his first race after what he went through with Red Bull and the emotion that he showed at the end of that race, just the, the, the summit that he'd reached, which probably not that long ago seemed absolutely impossible to get to. For me, that was fantastic to see. And I think a lot of the sport is about that and the emotion, obviously, that it brings. Outside of that, I'm a big fan of Monza anyway. Um, I just think it's an awesome place. It just has this aura about it, doesn't it? And for me, it also has the most incredible podium set up as well with all of the Tafosi and all the other fans, obviously, beneath the podium uh, on the start-finish straight. So, uh, yeah, for me, the Italian Grand Prix uh, was absolutely my favourite race of the year. Oh, are you sure about that, James, seeing as your beloved uh, Ferrari <laughs> qualified so poorly and then neither car finished? There was me being really polite about Lewis and, you know, how great he's been and this, that, and the other. And then just straight in, straight in and twisting the knife, Wayne. It doesn't surprise me coming from Lewis. And I'll be honest with you, um, it was an absolute disaster, really, for Ferrari, wasn't it? I mean, crikey, it's, uh, it's taken a global pandemic to, to uh, divert the Italian fans' rage from marching on Maranello, hasn't it, with uh, pitchforks and uh, burning torches. So 
thank God for COVID in that respect. But um, yeah, look, you know, I just need to need to get through to March and just see Ferrari come out strong. Uh, uh, the first race of the year, they're talking very, very highly of their power unit and how much uh, they've been impressed with it on the dyno. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed, Wayne, that there's a well, bit more of a, a challenge for Lewis next year. I, I will keep my fingers crossed for you that you can battle with McLaren with the new Mercedes power <laughs> units to be uh, P2 or potentially even P3. All right. So what, what about your <laughs> what about your best race? Uh, one of those five or one of your own, Wayne? I think for for me, it is between um, Austria one, the first race, and Turkey, uh, for two very different reasons. Um, one from a team fan point of view, and one from a driver fan point of view. Obviously, Austria, the the tension of being a McLaren fan in the last three or four laps, once it was revealed that Lewis was going to get a five second penalty, and that Lando was in a position that if he absolutely nailed every single lap that he could potentially be on the podium was nail-biting. Honestly, it was just four or five laps of absolute breathlessness at home. I think I must have breathed maybe about six times in that last lap where I was just so intense. Um, The whole scenario seven, pushing a hold overtake for five seconds, you know, it's driver coaching to the extreme. However to be able to pull off the fastest lap of the race on the last lap of the race to take your first podium in those circumstances, that is hats off Lando Norris. It's purely one of the... uh, People always talk about the best laps in F1 and they always say about Lewis Hamilton from Singapore in 2018, which is probably the pinnacle of a single lap in F1. But in race conditions... To pull that out of the bag, I think in years to come, Lando's lap will be spoken about in the same breath. Moving on to Turkey very, very briefly, from a driver fan point of view, um, Lewis securing uh, title number seven with probably one of his most impressive drives in his entire career. You know, in a car that started the weekend or, or in qualifying was two seconds off the pace. Nobody gave them a chance in how. And then he finished 30 odd seconds up the road from everybody on tyres, which were slicker than they would have been if they were actual slicks. Um, <laughs> and d- don't the cars just look awesome when they're dirty? <laughs> <laughs> so out of those two, or you can't split them? I can't split them. Can't they were them. they were my two favourite races of the year. Yeah. Okay. See, for mine, I, and and I agree with you know, I mean. I think it had to be one of those five. I'm glad you actually uh, didn't add another one, either of you, because it meant that I probably didn't know my stuff. Um, but see, for me, Sakir, and maybe it's because it's more fresher in the mind, but that short lap, the hecticness of that two-stop race over that distance, you know, it was a, a, a pit stop that was half, nearly half the, the time for a full lap. Um you know, it was incredible for, for Perez. Um, although, you know, okay, look, in some ways they... It was a, it was a safety car that that really helped them out, and it was a mistake from Mercedes in a big way. That you know, but there was still that excitement about George Russell. Lewis wasn't there, and again, not because he wasn't there, but it gave you know Hamill um, gave um, George Russell an opportunity to to do the incredible and the you know we'd almost say the impossible, except that he's an incredible car. But there were so many unknowns going into that race. I just thought that was an edge of your seat one. Um, so for mine, as much I mean Turkey. Yeah, 
and even in a Monza, yes, Austria it was a great way to start the season. But for me, I I just remember that Sakir, and I want that Sakir Grand Prix, and I I want all Grand Prix to be now under a minute <laughs> for, for a lap. <laughs> You know, either that or we've got to try and find a way to extend pit stops. But anyway, so uh, that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything, and that's uh, that's fine. But I think they, you know, they were all very good races, and for for very different reasons. But as I, as I was saying at the top, I, that's why I think it, it turned out to be quite a good season. Okay, let, let's move on to the best drive. Now, I've just noted down here Lando Norris in Austria finding that five seconds that he needed to podium. Uh, his first Leclerc at the same race, the Austria podium. Gasly and Monza, of course, started 10th. Uh, Signs at Monza. Um, they had a double shuffle pit stop there for McLaren. Um, identical pit stop times, in fact, 2.68 seconds. It was incredible that they did that. Verstappen, one we haven't probably thought about. Verstappen, anniversary Grand Prix. Remember his radio message, I don't want to sit behind him and drive like a grandma. And he got the win, and it was on merit. Hamilton in the wet at Turkey, Perez in Bahrain. From those or one of your own, Wayne, what do you think? I'm going to go Perez-Sakir for me, purely because um, he was stone last at turn four on lap one. And, okay, safety cars played into his hands a little bit, but he still had to get the car where it was, which incl- which meant passing a lot of people on the track. And what Perez has always come under a bit of stick for being a bit safe with his driving. But I think this season, and in particular in Sakir, it's really shown that when the you know when the chips are down, he can pass people and he can be aggressive if he has to be. Um, and I I know that James alluded to uh, Gasly's first win in Italy uh, being sort of like a, a redemption arc. But I, I think Perez, uh, after you know almost ten years in the sport and 190 starts, he's been at McLaren. He's been linked with Ferrari in the past, and to finally get a win. And then to end up in a Red Bull seat, I mean, that's one hell of a redemption up for me. Uh, pretty hard to argue with that. I mean, uh, that drive certainly featured. It was certainly considered for me. Um, I think the the situation for me really is as painful as it is to say, and much again to uh, Wayne's delight, was that the turkey drive from Lewis, really, um, for once the Merc wasn't the car to be in that weekend. Um, it's probably the only time we've seen it all season. It wasn't the car to be in that weekend. They couldn't get the balance right. They couldn't get the car to to engage and really switch on for either driver. Um, the conditions themselves, obviously, that was an equaliser for everyone. But his ability to to do what he did that day, for me, it really underlined his status um, as as one of, not necessarily the best ever. I would contend that point, but one of the best ever. Um, there was a lot on the line as well, wasn't there? I mean, you know, easy to make errors in conditions like that, easy to potentially get taken out. He kept his nose clean. He just managed to make these incredible moves throughout the course of the race and manage those tyres as well as he did. Um, and the title was on the line, you know. It was, well, sorry, on the line is the wrong thing to say there. What I will say is that, that, that there was an opportunity for him to win the title. And I think at the start of that race and throughout the course of the weekend in the build-up to the start of the race, no one probably expected Lewis to to perform the way he did. Um, but the fact he did and the fact he brought it home in such style um, when everyone else was kind of falling off around him was, was for me, something that's very, very hard to ignore. Um, the, the, I take on board Wayne's point about Checo. I think that drive obviously coming from dead last was absolutely outrageous. But, um, you know, that that situation 
uh, for Lewis in Turkey for me was was pretty outstanding. I have to say. I'm a bit. I'm, I, I can't believe that you actually didn't go for for Hamilton in Turkey, Wayne. No, well, I'd already mentioned that in the in the race. You know, the, my my favourite race of the season. So um, it, it, you can't argue that it was a phenomenal drive in, yeah. in what wasn't the fastest car. Um, but I'd already spoken about that, and I don't want to appear, appear too much of a fanboy. <laughs> You'll never get on here again if that happens. Um, <laughs> see, for me, I mean, that that drive in the wet for Hamilton was incredible in Turkey. It, it really was. You know, car control and for all the points that you've you've brought up. But again, I think I'm I'm going to go with something different. And up until the point that I started really looking at each race individually, I would have looked completely over this. And that for me is Verstappen's anniversary Grand Prix, simply because he won it on merit, and he's not in the fastest car. You know, they. I, I thought he did fantastically well to be able to win that on merit. There was, you know, um, there, there was no in, there was no incidences, there was no accidents, there was no, you know, there were tire blowups um, at the British Grand Prix the weekend before. There was that concern. I think that it, it sort of really played to Red Bull and, and their tactics to really push those Mercs as much as they possibly could because I think they felt the Mercs had a problem with um, a Deg on those harder compound tires. So I, I really think that drive from Verstappen was incredible because he beat both of the Mercs and you know how often have we seen in the past when you've got both Mercs on on track that one car is able to get past them and particularly when you don't have a rear gunner which Verstappen hasn't had in Albon for most of the season but it it was really tight because that that drive from Hamilton in Turkey was phenomenal but for mine I just would shade Verstappen although it's probably not going to be everybody else's favorite as, as far as a, 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 a you know a, a renowned favorite, but for mine that was uh, that was my my drive for for the season. Okay, so let's move on to uh, memorable moments. Now, I suppose the most memorable and relieving moment of the season was you know seeing Grosjean getting out of that house in Bahrain. If I'm honest, I don't think in some ways anything comes close to that as far as a, a memorable moment is concerned. So, let's say what was the second most memorable moment of the season um you're looking at again you know norris styrian grand prix uh he took on ricardo stroll in the closing stages got past the stroll and perez half a lap to go got fifth you know beat um uh, both racing points at the last moment racing points and, and ricardo three uh abreast across the line there was a red bull pit crew in hungary remember that when verstappen put his um his red bull into the wall on the way to the grid but they fixed the front end prior to the race and he got second Perez at the Sakia Grand Prix, first ever race win. Again, for me, that was an incredible moment to see him up there, particularly after they, you know, dumped him and, you know, he'd done so much for the team. Hamilton, British Grand Prix, finishing on three wheels. That was his record seventh British Grand Prix too. Gasly on the podium at Monza. Um, So, yeah, I mean, one of those, James, or one of your own? I went with, might be a little bit predictable, actually, but I went with the George Russell drama. Um, Ah. Just because it was... Certainly, you know, when we talk about memorable moments, they don't always have to be that particularly happy memorable moments. And unfortunately, in this yeah. particular case, it wasn't a, you know, a, a great situation, was it? But it was such a I genuinely couldn't believe what I was watching at the time because, you know, the whole pit stop just balls up was just an absolute joke. I mean, it was it should have been set to Benny Hill music at the time, I think, <laughs> when we watched it back. It was just insane how they got things so wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and then. For the yeah, just when he thought that actually he looked like he was gonna he was gonna hunt down the you know the, the win still I, th- I think he would have won the race still had he have just been able to just get on with it 
And then the second massive shock, obviously, of him picking up this puncture, which they detected. Mm. Uh, and I just, I was just sat there going, this can't, this can't be happening, surely. It was just too ridiculous. It was cruel in the extreme for George, you know, the, the age-old debate, and I don't want to get into it now, but the age-old debate about, obviously, car driver, car driver, you know, what's most important. <laughs> that we know Merck, obviously, is, is the car to be in. But to step out of a car where he'd been fighting just to score a point uh, for as long as he has done, with the pressure on him, stepping into the world champion's car, not just mm. you know a faster car on the grid, he's stepping into Lewis Hamilton's car. It, yeah. And the expectation on his shoulders was huge, but he handled it. He was a pro throughout. He showed why he's so highly rated and why he's so highly regarded. And he went out and did the business. It's as simple as that. He was absolutely superb. If he'd have won that race, you know, I know not much would have changed in terms of what 2021 20, uh, looks like for George, um, of course, because he's still you know, got his contract with Williams and Valtteri and Lewis are still going to be there, of course. But it would have just been such a huge statement. And to have that taken away from him in the fashion that he did, for me, I was I was gutted for him, and I, and I know you you know you could probably all argue the, the same. It, it just felt wrong, and uh, it was my most kind of shocking intake of breath. Obviously, having to deal with him go through that for a second time when they picked up the puncture. So, for me, yeah, that was that was the the most memorable moment of the season. I think. Yeah, I mean the uh, the George Russell weekend, uh, as it will become to known, was very very memorable indeed. However, for myself, I'm going to go for uh, Lewis finishing on three wheels in the British Grand Prix. It was just one of those things where you saw Bottas getting a puncture the lap before and then Red Bull pitting Verstappen to obviously they just pitted him just before and they were obviously thinking, right, we'll go for the fastest lap. Had they not done that, they would have won the Grand Prix. With Lewis having his tyre go at the end of the Wellington straight and then having to still do two-thirds of the lap with three wheels while changing diff settings <laughs> and Bono in his ear, okay, Verstappen is 30 seconds, 27 seconds, 25 <laughs> seconds, just and then just absolute calmness, you know, change diff setting to 12. Uh, just... You can imagine what's going on inside their heads, but they just belie everything and just show no emotion until Hamilton crosses the line. And he's like, was that the last lap? And then all it all goes crazy. I've never seen a car finish on three wheels. I've never certainly never seen a car win on three wheels. And I think that, again, it go, James mentioned something about, is it the car, is it the driver? Well, I don't think there's any other driver on the grid that could have brought that car home and still won, personally. So for me, that's my moment of the season. Yeah, okay. Fair fair call. I mean, it is. That was an incredible finish to a Grand Prix to have someone being able to get a car across on three wheels. It was. And as you say, with, with Verstappen still pressuring and it was huge. For me, I, I just don't know. Look, I, I would probably say the Norris last lap or two laps at the Styrian Grand Prix, uh, battling with Ricardo and Stroll in those closing stages, uh, then passing Stroll and Perez on that last half a lap to get fifth. And, you know, coming around the second last corner down at the um, at the Red Bull ring, he'd got past Ricardo, so he knew he had that place. But then, you know, to get past both racing points and, Ric- I'm sorry, and, um, and Perez just before the final corner, 
I, I, that whole, as well as the, the Racing Point 3 abreast across the line, as far as moments were concerned, I just thought that was incredible. Um, it was great TV. It was great to watch. You'd just love to see that amount of overtaking. And, of course, after what he'd done the weekend before with his podium, um, there was a lot of focus on him. You know, were McLaren, was it just a, a one-off that McLaren had got on the podium and had had a good result in Austria? I think that proved that it wasn't. They were up for a, a decent season. So, it, again, it was just one that sort of stuck out in the memory when I sort of started to, to think about this. So uh, we, we differ again, but, uh, of course, um, they are all fantastic moments. Um, okay, so we're now going to get on to uh, the biggest shocker. Um, so if you like the worst performance or the, the biggest, you know, bad result if you like i think we've got stroll in portugal the turn one clash in free practice one with max and then with norris in the race russell missing out on his first win because of that mercedes pit stop uh ferrari's monza um debacle started 13th and 17th finished with two dnfs red bull tuscan grand prix verstappen into the wall on lap one probably yeah, less so and then ferrari unfortunately for you james ferrari vettel and leclerc at the starian grand prix qualified 10th and 14th then double dnfs because leclerc punted vettel off wayne let's start with you this time one of those or one of your own <sighs> ferrari at monza i know i've already mentioned it but and i really do hate to stick the knife in but it's they were lucky that there was no Tafosi there because there would have been absolute riots had you know I the, the year before to go from the high of Charles Leclerc starting on pole winning beating Lewis Hamilton and the scenes underneath the podium to 12 months later both cars qualifying outside of the top 10 and then not finishing I think Mattia Bonotto's head would have been served on pizza had that uh, <laughs> had there been crowd there. So for for me, that's the shocker, and I, I'm I'm really sorry, James. I have to apologise that I've mentioned it twice. I'll come to expect it from you now, Wayne. To be honest with you, now I know where I stand. So uh, I, I, I speak only recording. facts. <laughs> well, look, you know, look, it's a, it's a good point, isn't it? It's, it's it's very hard to argue, and I think I've been fairly open and fairly honest about, yeah. uh, you know, a of course my my passion for Ferrari, but b um, my disappointment in them in in a number of areas, not just in their performances season, of course. You know, Charles being the, the the real kind of shining light in terms of some of the results that he got, quite frankly, were outrageous if you consider what he was working with. But also the way they treated Seb, obviously, when all of that happened back in, uh, what was it, March time now or May time, I think it was, wasn't it? You know, I think the team have not really cast themselves in a great light this year. Um, so, you know, it, it's very hard for me to, to sit here with blinkers on and say, but they're the best thing since sliced bread, because quite simply, the, fa- the fact is they haven't been this year. My my major real shock of the year is actually just their, their fall from grace and the, the lack of the real lack of ideas um, about how they were going to turn things around. And, you know, I, I was thinking to myself earlier on about potentially adding a um uh, like a bonus round in here where we could kind of you know, g- give a, a, an award to an individual or a, a group of people who did an outstanding job who worked in F1 this year. And it would have to be Ferrari's social media team for me because <laughs> how they get pumping positive messages out. Um, it was, you know, it was vomit inducing at times, wasn't it? I just think oh, they're getting paid to do this and they must feel horrific doing it. I think they it... must have learned a lot from McLaren from a few years ago, put it that way. I think McLaren went the same boat a few years ago. Weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> they've got a job to do and they've got to do it. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty nauseating at times. The, the fact that they they finished sixth in the constructors, you know, that is just unacceptable. And, and I don't say that just as a fan, but 
if you imagine what it had been like in the the mid to late 80s and the pressure that they felt when the old man was walking around the factory and uh, and and watching what was going on um you know a bad race result was enough to uh, to end up with uh, you know a, a pretty severe bollocking i think back in those days but now going through what they did the amount of people that have come and gone from team management all of that stuff there's no stability there no consistency whatsoever in leadership um and yet again you know we've seen just recently with um, Louis uh, Camilleri stepping down from his role, whether that's health related or not, we don't know, but there's just another big name gone from Ferrari and just makes you wonder what goes on behind the scenes there because it, it feels like they are just like headless chickens back at the factory. And I know that's not the case. And obviously you can go through bad patches of form, etc. but to go from how they've performed as a team um, and how great it's been to watch as a fan for, for a long period of time to utter hopelessness at times, uh, over the course of the last 12 months or so uh, has been a tad frustrating to say the least so yeah my my shocker really is uh, is quite simply that ferrari's fall from grace however i remain extremely optimistic and believe that my uh, scuderia can get back on the on, on on a reasonable playing level next season and it is i mean it's a, you know second to six that you know you don't see that happening very often do you that a team that goes from you know a front running team to, to down to where they are. I mean, obviously, we know it was all tied around with what happened with the fuel flow with the engine, and that they had a draggy car. They were expecting that this um, the, the the engine advantage that they had, the power advantage that they had, would negate that draggy car, and it didn't. Um, but that it's just an incredible fall from grace to go from second to sixth. That doesn't happen very often. It is, and I have to. I will add as well. You know, I think I've been. Um, I haven't been a, uh, a, a, a sort of that sort of biased fan in yeah. this in this situation because we talk about these situations. It's better to be honest and just talk about what the actual real deal is. What is actually going on? Why why would I sit here and not acknowledge Lewis's achievements? It just it would just be pathetic mm. uh, and not worthy of listening to. So the point being is when I talk about Ferrari, I am honest and open because the reality is I care and and it's and it is so frustrating to watch a team kind of almost tear itself apart through bad decision making um and, and the wrong people you know, potentially being in charge at the wrong time and all of that sort of stuff so yeah. it, it's nothing to do with me digging them out it's more about the fact because i care and i want to see them win and i'm sure wayne would understand that as well uh you know when you talk about mclaren and, and their rise back to the top it's great to see mclaren back involved at the front end of the field because they as a team by right should be there or thereabouts they should be in the running it wasn't good watching fernando toil around and 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 qualify you know on the last two rows of the grid it's just it's not right for the sport so for me obviously it's about the fact that ferrari should be there or thereabouts and um you know they've been a part of the sport for as long if not as long as everyone else uh, or longer than everyone else and um that, that to, to, to come from second down to sixth, it isn't acceptable. They've got to sort it out, John. Yeah, so, and, and just for mine, I would agree with Wayne in that the, the, the biggest shocker was Ferrari at Monza. And as you've said, and for all the exact, you know, the, the um, reaction that you've pointed out, that, you know, it was a great thing that t- the Tafosi weren't there because can you imagine what would have happened? It would have been like, you know, the USA 2005 and an EF1 team trying to get out of Indianapolis at that point um, after, you know, six cars uh, did that US Grand Prix. I remember being there and, and, and we were told to take our uh, take our team uniform off and cover it up um, because there were irate fans, you know, wanting blood, if you like, um, on the way out. So I think, yeah, it was just an incredibly horrible bad Grand Prix for them and and for mine that would be my shocker of the season okay um now 
sort of on a similar vein, and Wayne, I'll start with you. The biggest shock of the season. Um, Ferrari related again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mate, get that big size nine out and boot. (laughs) So, no, no, well, this is a shock that caused ripples that affected virtually every team. So, basically, Vettel getting booted before the season even started. Um, Okay, the season started late and Ferrari made the decision, however, when, back. But, you know... It, it wasn't done ceremoniously. He hasn't left on a high. Um, he was told over the phone. And basically, he was left without a driver, four-time world champion, who, all right, he didn't have the greatest of seasons last season, but in seventeen eighteen he was a title contender. And they've basically put all of their eggs into the basket of a very, very fast young driver. But because Seb was on the driver market... That then caused all of these other movements. You had signs going to McLaren, uh, sorry, signs going from McLaren to Ferrari, Ricardo taking his place at McLaren, and then you've got Alonso come back. Then you've got Seb going in to take Checo's seat at Racing Point, um, somewhat contentiously, obviously, because Checo is obviously the better driver at that team. Um, and then Checo left without a drive for God knows how long until just this last week when he was announced at Red Bull. So for me, the shock of the season is Seb getting punted before before the season even started. Because where does that leave your head? As, as Seb Vettel, who had a few bad drives last season in a car that he wasn't finding particularly well to drive, you know, before the season even starts, he knows that he's unemployed at the end of the season, unless he finds something else. And how can he show, put himself into the shop window by driving well in a car that is quite frankly, one of the worst Ferraris I can remember them producing all the way back to 1995. So yeah, that's the shock for me. Yeah, And, and it was of course their worst um, uh, season since about 1980 or 85 or something like that. So yeah, completely understand that one. James, I mean, yeah, we're not trying to stick the boot in here, mate, but obviously going from second to sixth, it's, uh, Ferrari's going to raise, uh, going to be um, a, a part of a few of these. What are your thoughts? The biggest shock of the season? Well, I mean, it's really annoyingly hard to argue with what Wayne said, isn't it? But um, <laughs> the, the, the Perez drama was, wasn't great, was it? You know, um, Checo being um, uh, yeah quietly exited or not so quietly exited from racing point by uh, a, a team owner whose son hasn't performed anywhere near as well as Checo. Uh, and yet, um, yeah, I, I think it's all a bit cringeworthy, that whole situation. It's awful, isn't it? You know, to bring back to the pay, pay driver conversations that we've had in the past and stuff, obviously sometimes you've got to, you got to find some money to get into the sport and then you've got to make your own way. But um, this particular situation I think was fairly unsavory, wasn't it? And, um, the outpouring of love and uh, disgust at the situation of Checo potentially not having a seat um, for next season was uh, was 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 probably the biggest shocker for me. Um, but it ironically has worked out absolutely fabulously for him. And obviously, if he can um, get anywhere near Max, I think that um, yeah, it's worked out quite nicely being associated with a, a team like Red Bull and, and being in a, in a car, hopefully, that can give him a chance to win a few more races. So, um yeah, that that would have been the that would have been the shocker for me. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement. I think it's it's the Perez getting punted. I mean, I hadn't really thought about the the Vettel thing at the beginning of the season. Of course, that was a, that was a big one too, wasn't it? But you know, I, I just couldn't believe that Perez um, 
yeah, you know, just considering who he was up against. I mean, Seb, right, you know, he's up against a guy who's driving really well. And, you know, he's the future of the team. He's got a five-year uh, deal. So you know that they're nailing their colours to, to Leclerc's mask. Uh, mask, rather. But, um, but Perez was the better driver in that team. He saved the team. You know, he's got the most podiums for that team. He's, you know, nearly, I'm just trying to think, is it nearly doubled the, you know, the, uh, the, um, points for the season compared to um, compared to Stroll, you know, and he doesn't get a drive. I understand that. Okay, it's you know, it's his dad that owns the the, the team, but still, to do that was, I think, just a huge call. Um, so for mine, I, I, I'm with Wayne on that. Uh, that was the biggest shock um, for me um, for the, the the 2020 season. Um, just one final one. Uh, we visited. Um, some new circuits and or revisited some circuits. What out of uh, Mugello, Portimao, Nurburgring, San Marino, or the Sakia layout? What circuit would you like to see come back, James? Uh, Portimao, simple as that. Yeah, uh, I think it was. I was buzzing about the, the the teams going to Portugal before it happens, and um, that circuit. If you just look at the other formulas that have raced there, bikes that have raced there. It's just a roller coaster, isn't it? And we we talk, we we I think we said that at the time. It was just an awesome layout, up, down, left, right. It was it was fast, um, and I just think it lent lent itself to to some great racing. And actually, we we saw you know pretty good race in the end, didn't we? There with uh, with Carlos obviously getting past the Mercs at the start in the kind of tricky conditions, etc. So um, yeah, for me, I, I would love to see it back. And I believe, and I don't know, I could be wrong. So please, if anyone knows, correct me. But uh, I believe it is coming back next season. For what I understand, there is talk of it being back on the calendar if it isn't already. So, um, yeah, I thought it was fantastic there. And it's always good to see places like Imola, um, you know, San Marino on the map. Um, and and cars going back there was fantastic because it's such a um, an immersive kind of F1 experience, isn't it? But unfortunately, it didn't really produce that good a race because the cars these days... Um, absolutely monster some of those older circuits so um <clears throat> yeah watching them go around Portimao for me was was pretty pretty awesome yeah the, the word on the street from Huggy Bear is that Portimao's um uh, quite possibly going to be that uh, that confirmed Grand Prix after China is it or yeah I think it's China isn't it um yeah that's that's the the, the word on the street uh Wayne out of those uh what, what did you think would deserve a spot uh, right, so I have something to say about Sakia's second lay- layout. Um, basically, I think three of the best races this season have come on circuits with very, very few corners. Mm. Um, both Austrian Grand Prix and Sakia, obviously very short laps, very few corners, very high speed. I think maybe that's something to look at in the future, not to go down the route of you know oval racing, but I think the Herman Tilke tracks these days are far too technical. Um, and I think he tries to be too smart in circuit layout and design. And that basically nullifies the racing because he's building and designing tracks to his ego. If you look at Austria, both races there and in Sakia layout too, both great races. It, all, all three of them were great races. Um, but that wasn't my favorite circuit this season. I would have to go with Mugello. Um, if we could go back there, that would be awesome because the undulations, the fast corners, um, you know, the, the turn one, how many times did we see passes, uh, passes around the outside because it wasn't, 
it wasn't negative camber. Yeah. It was positive camber so that cars could go around the outside and then they still had a good line for the next corner. Um, as opposed to, again, these Tilka tracks where he's obsessed with negative camber and trying to put people offline. And all right, it looks good on a single qualifying lap, but it's terrible for racing. And the thing is that, yeah, and I, I just noted down the off camber. Um, and I think the reason that was probably done was that he was trying to make it harder for engineers and drivers so that, you know, it, it, to mix it up a bit. But of course it doesn't because it means that if you've got one car that's faster than the other, then another car has just got even less of a chance if you're going off camber. And Magello yep. proved that, didn't it? Because you were on camber going the right way around that uh, right-hander and it gave an opportunity on the inside and the outside. So I completely agree um, as far as that. And yeah, it, the, the, those those circuits that don't have that negative camber, that off camber, I think work much better. I mean, for mine, I mean, see, I loved Mugello more than Portimao. Um, San Marino, I thought, was actually kind of underwhelming, to be honest. I think they need to widen it, uh, the circuit or the track. Um, but for mine, Sakir, yeah, I, I loved the fact that it was a, a, a lap that was under a, a minute. It was rapid and there weren't too many, you know, um, too t- too many slow corners there. I think that's... I, I'd love to see that layout. Okay, maybe a bit longer. Maybe you know a one-minute lap's a little bit long, a little bit short, but sort of somewhere around that. I I thought that'd be fantastic. It's not going to happen. Um, but then again, you know what F1 has proved to itself this year is that doing something that they wouldn't expect or they weren't thinking they would would have to do has actually proved to be absolutely brilliant because they these circuits like Mugello, Portimao and and Sakia and, and doing that outer ring uh, um that's the races there this year have proved that um but as you say Ryan, I I agree is that the, uh, Austria the, the first two races they were brilliant because of their their high speed nature um so I but yeah for mine I I'd, I'd plump for Sakia We are going to take a, um, a slightly more uh, humorous look at the season, if you like. And we thought it might be a bit of fun to think up what drivers would get other drivers if there was a, a secret Santa ballot in the paddock. Um, so who would get what for what driver? And I don't think we're going to go through every driver and, and do the whole thing like, you know, tick everybody's names off. But uh, I'm going to start with you, Wayne. Who some secret Sanders. Who do you think would get what present for who? Oh, okay. Sorry, so, I'm going to throw you in at the deep end there, mate. It, it, there, there's Ferrari involved. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I think uh, it would be good for Charles Leclerc to get uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, a set of record decks so he could carry on spinning Ooh. even when he leaves Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Um, and uh, also, I think um, the Mercedes team could get George Russell an idiot's guide to switching off the team radio on the uh, the steering wheel, <laughs> seeing as that was uh, his faux pas that caused the mix-up with his um, uh, Bottas's tyres going onto his car. And then, basically, it was his own fault that he lost his first uh, his maiden win. Um, <laughs> but then, finally, I'd probably go for um, Kevin Magnussen giving Mick Schumacher a uh, a guide of how to really piss Gunter Steiner off. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think K-Mag has absolutely nailed that over the last five years. Um, and I don't want to see watered down Gunter Steiner. I want to see him carrying on, um, going in on Schumacher and whoever Haas driver number two is 
whenever it happens. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We'll we'll talk about that a bit later. Okay, James, your secret setters. Um, yeah, very good, Wayne. I like those. Uh, I've got a couple here. Um, Seb to Carlos Sainz. How about a gift-wrapped shoulder to cry on uh, in the inevitable <laughs> likeliness that Carlos is going to fall out of the team at some point, isn't he? Because he's there's every chance he's going to be made to, uh, to, to pretend to be number two to Charles. <laughs> Outside of that, Cyril, a beatable to Esteban Ocon. Uh, it's going to be a book. It's going to be a lovely book. It's uh, Sun Chu's Art of War. Um, I think because it's going to help Esteban really prepare for the no doubt torrent of psychological abuse and warfare that Fernando is going to bring upon him when he really gets his teeth into the team. I think Esteban's going to be up against it. Um, uh, a couple more without uh, without going on too much. Kimi Raikkonen to Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, a coffee mug with an engraving that says, man the fuck up. Um, <laughs> Offended by the f bomb, but um, yeah, I could just I could just hear Kimmy coming out with it. He must be disgusted with uh, with Antonio Giovinazzi and his flowing, gorgeous hair and uh, his uh, his ability to uh, probably do a better performance on a catwalk than he can in a Formula One car. Whoa. So I can see that happening. Kimmy just taking no prisoners there. Um, this one, and of course, uh, he squealed like a, he squealed like a kid when he was going around with Kimmy at the Nurburgring too, didn't he? Well, yeah, this is it. I mean, you know, if you saw Kimmy, he just sat there and didn't really say anything. Treacherous conditions in a in a 500 horsepower rear wheel drive Alfa Romeo uh, when uh, Giovinazzi was at the wheel. And as soon as Kimmy took the wheel, Giovinazzi was like squealing behind his hands. <laughs> yep, yep. God, it is just unbelievable. What am I doing sat next to him? Um, this one, a final one for me. And obviously, uh, I hope I don't upset anyone. Hopefully, it can be taken in, in fair jest. But Dr. Helmut Marco to uh, Alex Albon. Uh, I can see Dr. Helmut Marco buying Alex Albon a PlayStation 5 and the F1 2020 game, quite simply because as and when Alex makes mistakes moving forward, he can just press reset and start his career over again. <laughs> oh, you'll get the crew after you. Absolutely. I didn't feel good saying that. I did not feel good about myself saying that. But it's, uh, look, we've been very sympathetic to Alex, and hopefully that can be taken in the just it is. But uh, yeah, I quite like that one. All right. Okay. Finally, I've, unfortunately, I've got a few, so I'm going to roll through them really quickly. I had uh, Checo gifting Albon a chaise lounge with a card that said, "I feel bad about what's happened, so here have my seat." <laughs> uh, Lando, being the king of social media, he got Nikita Mazepin. A present now difficult to buy for a kid who's got everything, but I think he's done well here. He's hacked all Mazepin's social media accounts and cancelled them. <laughs> Albon was going to get something for Helmut Marco. Um, of course, this is before the decision. It was going to be a brown paper bag full of cash and a night out at Spearmint Rhinos. Now he's going to keep it for himself because he's going to have a bit of time up his sleeve. <laughs> Vitelli- <laughs> Sorry. He's going to need something to cheer him up. Exactly. Vettel got his new teammate Lance Stroll a Christmas card. It was completely empty, nothing inside it. I mean, what do you get, a kid that's got everything? (laughs) (laughs) After the famous press conference last year where Ricardo questioned Lando's pubescence, uh, he got Lando his first ever male grooming kit. Being Italian, he grows a five o'clock shadow by 9am. I'm Italian, so I've got experience at that. Um, Russell lucked in. He had to buy for Kimmy. Real simple. Finlandia vodka, a gallon of it. Though he, George did have to get his dad to actually buy it for him, they didn't believe the age of his license. 
now, talking of youth for the Abu Dhabi young driver test, Lando gave Fernando an early present, his L-plates. A bit of authenticity there. <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg, he was generous. He got all the drivers a gift. It was a personal one too. He coughed into a jar and wrote on the lid, open me. <laughs> and uh, Lewis actually has gifted Max lessons in diplomacy and a think-before-you-speak filter for his team radio. And yeah. finally, a rather personal gift from Max to Lewis. He had his gallstone put on a nice gold chain because Max only passed him once. <laughs> so there we go. They're my secret Sanders. There's a few others actually that I've decided to kick to the curb, but yeah, there we go. Um, secret Sanders. If anybody's got uh, some thoughts on that, make sure you do put them on Twitter. Okay, look, so just to finish off, a couple of things that have been happening um, in the news. And, of course, we haven't really had the chance to talk about it, but it's been a great uh, decision by Red Bull to take on Perez, hasn't it, Wayne? Yeah. No, I, I think what they've got in Checo Perez is a proven driver, which is something that Red Bull haven't had since Danny Ricciardo left. Um, they've got somebody that is going to stick it to the Mercs. He is probably going to consistently qualify uh, in the top four, you know, to so that Mercedes won't have that luxury to be able to pick and choose whatever strategy they want next season, because there's always going to be Checo who, who probably isn't going to be as, you know, he's going to be closer to Max than uh, Gasly and Albon have been. I don't see him being faster. He might have the odd race where he might sort of get the upper hand, but I think they are, Red Bull have made the decision to do that purely off the basis of, they just want to be closer to Mercedes and stop Mercedes just doing whatever they want in the races. Um, and with Perez, I'm firmly believe that they've got that driver. Yep, James. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's great for the sport, uh, isn't it? And uh, and not a bad uh, piece of PR for Red Bull, considering they don't have the best reputation in terms of management of drivers. Um, I think um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's good all round. It's it's great great for Checo, well deserved. Um, Alex will be back. I think we've talked about that previously. I think it's going to do him good to have some time out um, and, and for the sport as a whole to not let Merck have their own way, which is a great point I think Wayne's made. Um, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's um, a great relief that Checo's got a drive. That it was, um, you know, a crime almost that he didn't have a drive um, and everything we spoke about not long ago. Um, so it's a great relief for him. Yeah, it's not great for Albon, but he's young enough. He'll come back and he's good enough. I mean, he proved that last year. You know, he was he was pretty good in that Red Bull last year, wasn't he? Um, so you've got to know that he's got the talent to be able to do it. But there's just something that's not not clicking at the moment for him. Um, you know, it's going to be a great battle, I think, between you know, cuz Checo doesn't give an inch. These are two drivers in you know, Max and Checo. And you, if you think Checo is just going to play be happy to play second fiddle, uh, there's going to be a lot of radio chatter. I mean, you know, he does Checo does a, a lot of radio chatter as it is um, and has done in the past when he had for example the first one I could think of is um, with Ocon, you know, and and they didn't they I think they liked each other, but on the on the track it was, you know, helpful either at each other so that's a great thing and of course it's going to help Red Bull isn't it you know make sure they can consolidate second in that championship and put a bit more pressure on um, Mercedes and and maybe whoever else is coming up behind them whether that be McLaren Ferrari again or you know, or Renault or Racing Point or Aston Martin as they're going to be but they need to have that second driver scoring good points otherwise it, they really you know leave themselves at risk of, of losing second so I think that uh, it's, it's a great thing but um, look I think we 
we better wrap it up there. Gentlemen, look, thank you very much for your your thoughts and your opinions. I um, hope you ha- have, a, have a great Christmas and, uh, you know, that your, your family stay healthy and happy and we can, jeepers, look forward to a better 2021, surely, can't we? It, it can't be much worse. Jeepers, creepers. Unbelievable. <laughs> and and you, you, you just hope that this is going to happen within the first six months of the year. Gee, I know it's, it is absolutely mind-boggling that we now have this new normal. Uh, it is. It is. Um, however, at least things are looking relatively positive. And uh, like I say to many people that I get unfortunately involved in conversations with this about at the moment, it's, there's not really much point in getting pissed off about it because it is what it is. We can't do anything about it. We just got to suck it up and look forward to hopefully a full season of F1 and some uh, some good racing next year. Yep. Okay, gentlemen. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours, and we'll no doubt be chatting a ver- uh, again very soon uh, on another Pitbox podcast. Great Same stuff. to you, John. Stay safe. So there we go. That is another Pitbox podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it this year. We've enjoyed doing it. Look forward to doing it again next year. We are going to try maybe to do one between Christmas and New Year as well, I think. We've just got to see how everything pans out. Uh, but if you do like the podcast, spread it around. Recommend us to your friends. That would be great. And, of course, get in touch. If you'd like to be on the Pitbox podcast, if you'd like to give your opinion, we'd love to hear from you on the socials, whether it be Instagram or Twitter, at Pitbox Podcast or at Adoree Media. Apart from that, one final thing to say, a very Merry Christmas to you and yours. Enjoy the time with family and enjoy the time off. And we look forward to seeing you in 2021.